I was in a vice president role. I was so senior in the business. And still, I found out, you know, my role was impacted. And, you know, suddenly I was not a vice president in a big tech company anymore. And I think that shift of power and status and identity is difficult. Before we start today's episode, I wanted to say a big thank you to our series sponsors, Alchemist. Alchemist is an industry-leading learning and development company whose learning journeys and experiences help organizations such as John Lewis, Sony, and the NHS who want to grow, change, or transform by putting the learner first to optimize organizational performance. We've been huge fans of Alchemist for years and really admire the way in which they approach blended learning that allows people to explore concepts and ideas in a new and unique way. To find out more about Alchemist and the way they work with organizations, head over to thisisalchemist.com forward slash 40 Minute Mentor. Welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor, the podcast on a mission to raise aspirations and inspire the next generation of category defining founders. From purpose led entrepreneurs to Olympic champions, you'll learn firsthand from today's successful leaders on what it takes to be brilliant all in just 40 minutes. Today, I'm joined by Abadesi Osansade, the founder and CEO of Hustle Crew, co-host of the Techish podcast and the author of Dream Big, Hustle Hard, The Millennial Woman's Guide to Success in Tech. Over the last 15 years, Abadesi worked at some of the biggest names in tech, including Product Hunt, Hotel Tonight, Amazon and Groupon. Throughout those years, Abadesi has experienced her fair share of layoffs, but that didn't put her off. She went on to land six bigger salary roles and start Hustle Crew, a diversity and tech community and training company. We're big fans of the work that Abadesi does here at JBM, so I'm beyond excited to share her story and mentorship with you all today. Abadesi, thank you for joining us on 40 Minute Mentor. How are things? Yeah, great. Thank you. I'm feeling really gassed up after that intro. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's the aim. Nice. You know, it's all very, very fair. And I'm buzzing to get you on and to chat more about your career. But before we do, we always feel like we should warm you up with some quick fire questions. So if you're happy to answer these after me, we'll get into it. First up, I grew up wanting to be... I grew up wanting to be on the Barney show, like Barney the Dinosaur. I was really jealous of the kids in that show. I was obsessed with that. And I just thought, that is so cool. I want to be dancing and singing with Barney instead of going to school. My teacher doesn't dance and sing like Barney. So yeah, for a very long period of my life, I assumed that's where I would end up. (laughs) That is, what a great answer. And I must say, I did like Barney. He was the big purple, very smiley, very happy dinosaur, wasn't he? (laughs) He just made everything fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When you're at that age, that's just, you know, it's a vibe. That was the vibe so of my true. childhood I was like yes <laughs> love that and you'll you'll be surprised isn't it? that that is the first time anyone's ever said Barney so thank you very much <laughs> I love first <laughs> a misconception people have about me is oh I think a misconception people have about me is that I'm a very serious person because I work in the space of you know, anti-oppression. And of course, oppression is a very serious thing, but I am not that serious person. Like I spend a lot of time watching stand-up, trying to make my husband laugh, trying to make my friends laugh. Um, I'm actually quite silly um, and I have a good sense of humor. So yeah, I definitely am not super serious all the time. <laughs> nice. That We're going to be friends. This is good. I, I love anyone that doesn't take themselves too seriously. That's, that's great. <laughs> I guess switching gears, the last time I cried was when? 
I cry a lot. Uh, I am just one of those people. A song can make me cry. A poem can make me cry. An advert can make me cry. The last time I really cried was Saturday night. I watched with my husband The King's Man, which is like the third movie in the Kingsman series. It's an adaptation from a comic book. But the third installment was like a prequel, the origin story. So you go back to the First World War and how the war started. And, you know, it's a real tearjerker. A lot of people lost their lives. A lot of young men lost their lives. So, yeah, that got me crying. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? Ever since becoming a dad, my daughter's just turned seven. And like, honestly, there are little things that just choke me up. And it's normally to do with like kids or sad things or parents and kids. But I, I, yeah, I, I'm forever like watching stuff and just like, my, my wife's like, are you, are you crying again? Is, are you okay? And I'm like, no, no, no. It's just, you know, it's just that there's dust in the, <laughs> in the room. Yeah, I'm with you on that. If there was one thing I could change about entrepreneurship, it would be It would be the obsession with raising funding and raising capital. I actually think a lot of businesses can be done without (laughs) that and probably far more profitable and sustainable businesses. And it is frustrating that, you know, raising around is now like a legitimizing factor or like something that shows you as successful. Yeah, I just think we should have more people willing to start a business uh, by hook or by crook, you know, by their bootstraps. And that shouldn't be something that's frowned upon or seen as like, oh, well, you failed to raise funding, so you bootstrapped. (laughs) I couldn't agree more. As a bootstrap founder myself, this series, we made a a real effort to sort of highlight the stories of as many bootstrap founders as possible. And uh, I'm really looking forward to sharing their stories because it's so impressive to do what you do and what a lot of people, I think it's, it's never really had the, the credit, I think, in, you know, in the tech press and in the wider ecosystem. We don't, we don't celebrate bootstrap founders enough. And so I, I think we can do that today and for the rest of the series. So uh, thank you for, thank you for sharing. My biggest failure to date is. Ooh, I reflect on my failures a lot because of you know, my belief in the growth mindset. So I'd probably say that my biggest failure to date is my inability to validate myself internally, like 100%. Like I wish I could be the person that just wakes up and it's like, I'm doing me and that's the only view that matters. I care about what people think. I care about what my husband thinks, care about what my family thinks, care about what my customers think, my followers, my team. One day I hope to be Buddhist Zen-like state of no ego. But my biggest failure today is I still have an ego and I still care about what others think. <laughs> no, I'm with you there. I worry about that a lot. Just like, oh, what if they thought this about me or that? And yeah, that stuff does keep me up at night. And I think it was also when you're building something that you're really passionate about, you really do care like how the brand comes across as well. And that's something that I've struggled with is that as you grow and you have to let things, your baby go a bit, as you're just slightly nervous sometimes. And that's something that takes a bit of time to go, isn't it? Well, thank you, Abadesi. I feel like we've already got a good little glimpse into the, the, the humorous side of you, the emotional side of you, some of the things that really you're passionate about, but we're going to dive into the story more. So do you mind giving our listeners a bit of a whistle-stop tour of your CV? Yeah, a bit more about your journey into tech and what got you initially interested in, 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 the, in the industry? Were there particular barriers to entry? Share a bit more of your story if you don't mind. 
Yes. So I remember being in sixth form and deciding what to pick for my degree, filling out UCAS forms, all that kind of stuff, and reading an article that said that women with economics degrees earned more than any other social science graduate. So I thought, okay, I'm going to study economics. That's that's a done deal. I mean, I already knew I was going to study economics because my parents were immigrants and they'd been telling me what I was going to do with my life for my whole life. So my dad was like, you're going to study economics like me. And I thought, okay, go for it. But yeah, I studied economics. I graduated in 2009. And the economy in 2009 probably was looking a bit like the one today in 2022. A lot of layoffs, a lot of downsizing, access to credit and capital was not so easy. And that meant that I was happy to just take any job that I could. And I worked in retail throughout university. I worked in Selfridges, actually. So my first actual work, which doesn't really go on my CV that often, was just working full time in retail after uni until I could find a job. I was doing an internship at the Financial Times through a diversity scheme. I was on an editorial internship there, but I was also just interviewing like crazy, like all graduates do. And I ended up spending 18 months in my first, you know, full-time permanent city role organizing conferences for investment bankers. Why did I do that? If I'm honest, it was the first permanent role I was offered at the time when there was a big ass recession. I don't have like a fancy story to finesse here. I was just like, wow, someone's willing to pay me 25K. I think it was a 25K job that then got bumped up to 27K. And I was like, woohoo, I'm happy to get it. But Around this time, I started to hear about the startup game through my university friends. I heard about Groupon. I heard about equity packages, things that I never heard about, never knew existed. I thought you just got paid your salary. Now I was learning you could get paid your salary and then eventually a massive windfall of cash in the form of shares. So I thought, let me get into the startup game. I was also very influenced by the movie, The Social Network. So (laughs) I know there are a lot of people that got into startups because of that movie. like, wait, I can be a billionaire for building apps with my homies? Let me do this. I don't want to wear a suit. I don't want to like dress up for work. So yeah, that then became the roller coaster of the last decade, truly a roller coaster working in London's startup scene. I feel incredibly privileged to have joined Groupon a year before the IPO. And you know that, that was my first ever job in tech. And it was such a rocket ship to be on. Three years at Groupon, was followed by one year at Amazon, one year at Hotel Tonight. I was the only Black employee at Hotel Tonight's London office. And that created a lot of interesting moments. Some would call them banter. Some, i.e. me, would call them problematic. And that is where the idea for Hustle Crew began. I realized so many of us are just like moving through the world, trying to do our best in our careers. But because of our cultural background, the difference in our lived experience, we are ignorant of the ways we're hurting other people. We're damaging other people's confidence, self-esteem. We're throwing people under the bus without even realizing it because we're interrupting them for the 50th time this meeting. So I just really wanted to do something about this. And it started with a community. So we would meet every first Saturday of the month in the London South Bank Center because it was free to do that. And it would be me, And anyone who had found me on LinkedIn or through my email list, come along, underrepresented people in tech, women, people of color, whatever. Let's talk about what we want to get out of our careers. Let's help each other. Let's level the playing field and and use our network, use our connections. And now six years later, we've been able to 
turn the insight from our community into training programs that everyone from NHS to Stella McCartney, Bloom and Wild, all plants have been on a training program that makes those employers more inclusive so that they can retain amazing people like me and, you know, not have microaggressions, not have banter that's actually racist, sexist or harmful. So yeah, it's been a very interesting ride. And, you know, now I'm here with you. And we're going to talk much more about Husk Crew and all the work you're doing a bit later. I love it. By the way, I just think it's so important and such an impressive evolution, which I'm sure was a lot of hard work, blood, sweat and tears. But also as somebody that graduated in 2009 and who went through that whole experience of trying to find a job and ended up falling into recruitment, I just remember that time. It wasn't easy. You wear lots of different hats. So founder, you're a board trustee, angel investor. I just think we're big advocates for portfolio careers and we've created a whole business around that, actually, our JVM SOS business unit. And we're seeing this huge appetite for trying new things and, and having lots of variety. So how do you balance those roles? And how do like the combination of all those different things make you a better leader when it comes to your kind of day job? Yes, I'm definitely still learning how to balance all the different roles well, because, you know, as I get older and wiser, I start to realize just the way that we've been designed biologically as human beings, as animals, it's actually really hard to excel in more than one thing, right? And at the moment, I'm, I'm keen on being an excellent entrepreneur, which means that I probably will not be as excellent in the time I can give to my angel investments or my board commitments. But what has worked for me in terms of balancing out all of the different roles is having a clear expectation of like, what people want from me as I engage in all of those partnerships and all of those dynamics. And the case is such that most people rely on the same part of my expertise. So in most of those cases, people want to know how to build community in as inclusive and representative a way as possible. So what's kind of fortunate about the fact that, you know, yes, I sit on boards. Yes, I'm an angel investor. I'm advising to startups. It's often around the same themes and that's where I add value. So that's been something that's actually really helpful. I'm kind of having similar conversations just to different audiences. And I think that means that it's not so much of a burnout or a chore. It's kind of like recycling information that then becomes kind of like a lower mental load, but still is valuable to the people that you're sharing the information with. So that's really what's been helpful for me, being really clear and like, I'm coming into this role to share my expertise on this narrow topic. And if it falls outside my wheelhouse, being open to say, do you know what? I'm not the person to answer this question, but I know someone who is. Or if I don't know someone who is, just be like, I'm sorry if that's not helpful, but there's no point in me like spending energy answering a question someone else is better, you know, set up to answer. And I think all of those different roles expose me to different types of people. And that keeps me grounded and that keeps me open-minded. One of the hardest things about being a founder in London startup scene that's focused on diversity is that you can get very stuck into the same set of people and the same crowd and the same crew. Like everyone around me is working on diversity stuff. Everyone around me is the first black woman to do that, the first black man to do this, the first brown face to do that, the first hijabi to do this. And then you're almost stuck in this little echo chamber where everyone's super woke and super progressive and super liberal. And then we're just missing the whole half of the conversation of people who are going to vote Tory next election and la da da and la da da. And I'm just like, I need to stay open-minded because otherwise I'm going to be the problem that I'm trying to solve. And I don't want that. 
that's so, I mean, it's, it's so important. And I just love your advice there. I think a, a lot of people listening will benefit a lot from that if they're thinking about doing similar sorts of things. I guess when you hear angel investor and board advisor, you think, oh, Avadesi, she's oh, she's had a great ride. She's doing all these incredible things. But people probably don't realize that you've, you've experienced being laid off twice in your career, one very recently. And I think it's really important to share some of these like real stories. And so do you mind sharing a bit more about your experience and how that it made you feel? And I think particularly in this climate where a lot of people listening to this might be in a similar situation, like how did you ultimately bounce back stronger for those experiences? Absolutely. Yes. So my first layoff was in March, 2020. I had been working in Product Hunt's community team and a lot of teams were downsizing due to the upcoming macroeconomic conditions. And, you know, that kind of hit me by surprise. It was just a couple of months since we'd had a team offsite. We'd all been hanging out and it was really fun. And at the time, what really got me through that was to remember that it was not personal. It was not a reflection of the work that I'd been doing in the team. It was not a reflection of like what the CEO thought of me, what my boss thought of me. It was just the company and decisions, honestly, just like beyond my pay grade, beyond my control. That really helped. But you know, the most recent layoff that happened, I was in a vice president role. I was so senior in the business. And still, I found out, you know, my role was impacted. And, you know, suddenly I was not a vice president in a big tech company anymore. And I think that shift of power and status and identity is difficult. You know, I think getting laid off when you're older in some ways it's easier because you have more experience, but in some ways it's harder because you can't just like walk into any other opportunity, right? You've really got to be intentional and, and careful about what you do next. So when I found out I was being laid off from my vice president role, I felt so many emotions. The first negative emotions that came up was just a real sense of disappointment, like genuinely like I'd failed because I had this opportunity to go in-house with a hustle crew client. A role was created for me in 2020 like many roles like that, created to respond to this trend, to this movement, to this shift in expectations, staff, customers, everyone wants to know, what are you doing for underrepresented groups? What are you doing for Black people? What are you doing for women? People with accessibilities, LGBT plus, tell us what you're doing. Tell us how you're improving the world for them. And it was so exciting to be in that role. And I really was in two minds as to whether I should take that role because I was like, oh my God, no one can ever succeed in this role, right? It's like, who wants the job of fixing the world? It's like a job that no one can actually do, right? So it's just like, do I want that job? I don't know if I want that job, but I felt that the opportunity was really great. And why I was so disappointed when the role was made redundant was because I knew in my heart that I did not have enough time to make the change that I wanted to change when I agreed to take on the role. I think when I agreed to take on that role, I just assumed I would have at the least three years. In an ideal world, five years. I kind of thought, wow, five years of consistent change recruitment, change this, change that. That is a legacy that I'll be proud to leave behind. And it's sad when you go into something with the idea of a legacy and then that gets cut off from you. But then as time went on, I started to realize the reason I get laid off a lot or the reason things don't go my way a lot is because I take risks. <laughs> I'm a big risk taker. You know, Product Hunt also created a role for me. They were like, hey, our community team's expanding. We want someone who's like a bit of a creator, but also a bit of a partnerships builder, this, that, or the other. Do you want this? And I was like, yeah, great, let's do it. But then two years later, they're like, actually, this role isn't quite what we thought we needed it to be. And the market's changing. Sorry. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And then it happened again. Someone approached me and was like, hey, we want to create a role for you. What do you think? What do I think? 
think, yeah, cool, let's do it. Two years later, you know, tech is a fast moving industry. Things change. And as it so happens, a role that made a lot of sense one year might make no sense two years later, at least not for that business, not for that time, not for that shareholder, whatever it might be. So I guess what has helped me bounce back from it is realizing that the only reason I'm getting laid off is because I am maximizing my courage. I am maximizing my opportunities. I am really going for it. Maybe a little too much. Maybe a little too much. I don't know. But I'm going for it enough that I'm being let down and I'm experiencing letdowns. Because you're only going to get let down if you're shooting for the stars, right? If you're like reaching for the top. So every failure for me is a reminder that I will not rest (laughs) until I have turned over every possible opportunity to make myself a millionaire so I can look after my loved ones and they don't have to work. I love that. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Maximizing courage. I'm going to use that. I just think that's such a brilliant way of of framing (laughs) this. Um, And I think, look, and I I see this from different sides, you know, given my job as a headhunter in tech, it's always horrible talking to people that have been in this situation and are struggling with it. Obviously doing our utmost to support them with what next. I've also, as a founder of a startup business, you know, had to make these difficult decisions as well. And things do change quickly and it's never been personal. And it's it's the worst part of my job, to be honest with you. It's the thing that I've found the hardest. But I think knowing that it isn't personal when it comes to things like a macro, you know, a big global recession. And I think if you can take some of what you just shared in terms of how you frame it, I think that will really help. I think that will really be useful for a lot of people listening. So thank you for that. I think it's not a topic that we all feel that comfortable talking about. I think historically people, it might be a bit awkward understandingly. I think pride can be dented. Um, How can we normalize this conversation a bit more especially when like i guess the reality is this is affecting a lot of people up and down the country so it is something we should probably normalize and talk more about and yeah support more people with i agree with you and a lot of people in the hustle crew community have been impacted by layoffs it seems like statistically many more will be as well like you said and i think one of the things that we've been trying to do with our like training that we've got on at the moment layoffs to lemonade, hashtag layoffs to lemonade, quite quite proud of that campaign name, is show people that these letdowns and layoffs and negative moments can actually be the start of one of the most exciting career chapters of your life. Because it is from that place of low energy, low confidence, that in a way you're almost building from scratch and building from, you know, a new, right? So instead of thinking like, I was set on that path, I knew where I was going to get I was a junior product manager, going to get promoted to product manager, then get promoted to senior product manager. Now that you've been knocked off that path, you can have a very honest conversation with yourself. Did you really enjoy that role? And did you really enjoy that vertical? And did you really enjoy that team and that culture? And you don't have to pretend that you liked it anymore. Like I think back on the fact that it's been months since I moved on from my VP role, there was a lot about that company that I loved. There was a lot about that team that I loved. Did I love everything? Of course not. Now at the time, I couldn't say that. Well, one, because I was in too senior a role to admit those things to the like people below me. Part of your job as a vice president is to toe the party line. But also, I couldn't admit it to myself because if I admitted it to myself, I would be a sellout. I would be someone that was doing a job that they didn't fully like because it paid them well, telling people on social media to only do jobs you really fully like because your life is worth more than that. The hypocrisy of it, you know? Now, as time's gone on, I can look back and see, I was like, okay, I was a little hypocritical. 
circle there. I'm not, I'm not throwing shade on my past self, but I've just had, you know, the, the privilege of time to reflect and zoom out. So, you know, the reason I'm being very honest about everything that I felt is because I don't think any of those feelings are anything to be ashamed about. I think all of those feelings are real. All of those feelings are valid. Feeling conflicted while I was in the role about whether there was a disconnect between who I really am and who the person is that I'm putting out on social media. Feeling conflicted even now as to like, you know, when will I start to feel fully positive about everything that I experienced and let the sting of the disappointment fade away? Like, I'm exploring these questions in real time myself, right? Like, I am also trying to learn. But 100% what has been helpful for me is telling the story. I will tell the story. I will shape the narrative in a way that makes sense to me. I will frame it in a way that makes sense to me. I will choose what to share. I will choose what to keep private and what to keep secret. But the more I talk about it, the less power it has over me. The more I talk about it, the more it's just another story I'm talking about, like what happened when I went to the supermarket earlier today? Just another story, not that exciting. And I also hope that if I talk about it, then someone who goes, oh my gosh, that's so interesting. Like I I can relate to that. I feel less ashamed now about my own conflicted feelings or my own disappointments. A lot of people don't want to talk about being laid off because they feel like someone will think like, you are clearly not good at your job. Why did they lay you off? What did you do? The definition of a layoff is literally such that it has nothing to do with you. It only has to do with the business. I wasn't fired for gross misconduct. I didn't pull a Harvey Weinstein or a Prince Andrew. I literally just had my role impacted, nothing to be ashamed about. So I think we just need to like remind people like being fired is very, very different (laughs) to being made redundant or being laid off. Absolutely. And I can understand that pride can sometimes, you know, can be dented there. And, and, but I think the more we talk about it, the more we realize that this is sadly uh, not going away. Like this is part of business. Things change. If companies don't sell enough products or if they don't raise the funding there, it's supposed to, these things do happen. I think it's part of the risk that comes with, startup life it doesn't make it any easier but i think by normalizing the conversation and yeah framing it like you're you're doing so i think it'll be a lot easier to process that and hopefully move forward from it quicker which i think is a big part of this is ultimately i always hate when you can see somebody that is almost just in a bit of a vortex of anxiety or you know around a decision that's happened that's totally out of their control it's got no reflection on their abilities at all but it holds them back from like going out there and finding the best job and i think that's something that we need to to hopefully help people with so that doesn't happen again i'm getting so much energy from this conversation because i know it's needed right now and i think there's definitely kind of another part to this which is once you've maybe kind of processed being laid off then you've obviously got to figure out what you want to do next. As you said, this could be the start of a new incredible adventure. Have you got any other advice around how to figure out what's next? And is there anything particular that helped you when you've been in that that situation? Yeah, I think what was helpful for me was thinking about like the moment in history that we find ourselves in as a generation of workers, right? Like we are in this really unique moment in time where career has so many meanings, right? Career has so many meanings. Like it's not just, I pick a vocation like shoemaker or butcher and I do that for 60 years and then I hand the skills on to my children and they carry on the family name. And it's also not just, well, I've got to stick in this corporate job until my retirement comes and you know I've got to be reliable. You can literally do whatever you want 
as much as you want, as little as you want, as many hats as you want, one hat, 10 hats, doesn't matter. There are so many ways to make money, basically, right? Like a career at the end of the day is that combination of like investing your time in a meaningful way so that the value created from it helps you get the life that you want, right? That's how I see it. It's like, what am I going to choose to use my time on so that the output of that time investment leads to the goals that make sense to me, leads to the outcomes that make sense for me. And I feel like we need to appreciate the amount of information we have. We now have this opportunity to look at the world, the opportunities in it, look at ourselves, look at our our households, look at like our desires and needs and do this incredible mapping exercise where it's like, who am I? What do I care about? What am I good at? What am I willing to sell time-wise, service-wise, skill-wise? And then what's out there and how much are they willing to pay for it? And then just go for it. You could have a new job every six months if you wanted. I mean, your income will be incredibly variable and you'll probably be exhausted, but you could literally have a new job every year, every two years. You can have a different career every decade. You know, if you don't want to earn a lot of money and you're welcome to have income disruptions, you can change that trajectory even more quickly. If you want to retire with a million pounds, there's literally an infinite number of ways that you could do that. You could like have a very regular, ordinary job, save a lot work slowly. You can take high risk, high paid, lucrative jobs, hope for a cash out, invest wisely, whatever. So I guess what I'm trying to say to people is like, it's literally the choose your own adventure of careers right now. No other generation of humans has ever had it this good. And I know I'm saying that as someone who's been laid off in a time of macroeconomic crisis, those things are true. But what's also still true is that we are still living in a capitalist system. And a capitalist system exists because capital is constantly moving through it. So what a time to be alive. Yeah, it is so true. And I, we see this as headhunters, the amount of, even though there's a lot of doom and gloom put out there in the press, and there are, of course, a lot of people being affected by the, the restructuring of companies, but there's also incredible opportunities that were coming to our door every single day, you know, from earlier stage companies, uh, you know, disruptive startups to later stage ones that have already got product market fit that are kind of turbocharging towards IPO. There is really a lot there. And then there's a lot of people that are using this time to create new businesses or have ideas or embrace that portfolio career and actually, you know, find a new way of working, which I think is going to become even more prevalent. So I completely agree. And I, I really hope anyone listening to this doesn't feel too doom and gloom about the opportunities because they are out there. And as you said, I think a lot of it's leaning into that and embracing it. I just wanted to take a quick minute to tell you about another podcast that we think you'll really enjoy. If you're fascinated in the world of entrepreneurship, love hearing the stories of people building amazing businesses, as well as the inside stories of the tech companies that go wrong, check out Startup Europe. This podcast from the team at Sifted covers the biggest news coming out of European tech and startups, spotlighting the companies that are winning investment, as well as lifting the lid on the scandals hitting major names in the sector. You'll hear punditry from Sifted's journalists and interviews with established names, as well as the up-and-comers who are building the companies of the future. If you want to keep up with what's going on in the world of entrepreneurship in Europe, we think you'll love Startup Europe. The other side to this, I guess, discussion is on the founder side, you know, having to make these decisions like I have had to in the past. It's never fun. 
from your work with Hustle Crew and, and your experience of working with founders of, of, of companies, like having to manage these layoffs across their team, is there any particular piece of advice? Because we get a lot of founders that listen to this about how they can best support their team, you know, behave in the right ways around this sort of difficult decisions and, and time. So I think when you're a founder and you need to go through layoffs or you need to go through like big decisions in your company, it's so important for you to have someone outside that can help. Like in my case, I have a coach. So I work with a coach and he's really, really helpful. Carl Martin, highly recommend him. Check him out on LinkedIn. His company, PeerPod, you know, not only coach individual founders, but they also coach teams. So for us to like have had that space created to have difficult conversations for me to practice difficult conversations, but also for me to just offload about feeling like a failure or feeling like I'm a mean person or, you know, taking back negative experiences that have come out. I've let people go from my team this year as well. It doesn't always go well. You know, people get hurt. People say things they might later regret, but they're still sad. And yeah, having external support is really, really incredible. So I think that's the first thing because founders, let's face it, we are the worst at looking after ourselves. We look after everyone else first and whatever energy is left, we do some more sales. So we are really bad at looking after ourselves. <laughs> so yeah, making sure you're looked after is so key. Professional help, ideally, and certainly personal help. Like whoever are your trusted people, your partner, your friends, your family, let them know you're having a hard time. Let them know there are really talented people that I now have to let go. And that's really sad for me and my business. And you're going to be grieving, basically. You're going to be grieving this decision. You're going to be grieving this loss. And it's really important to let people know that you're just going to be grieving that thing. But the third thing I'm going to have to say is like, how sad do you think Elon Musk felt <laughs> when he laid off all those people from Twitter? Now, I'm not saying I aspire to be Elon Musk, but what I am saying is sometimes as founders, we forget that if we really want to be successful, we have to thicken our skin. We obviously don't have to thicken it to the point where we are desensitized, you know, billionaires. We don't want to be that. I don't want to be that anyway. I'll speak for myself. I don't want to be that. But I also need to be willing to give something a finite amount of time for me to worry about it. And then I need to be willing to move on. Yes, it's sad that I have to lay people off. Yes, it's sad I have to let you go. Yes, it's sad that person gave me horrific feedback about the type of manager that I am. But I've thought about those things for three plus hours each and I'm ready to move on. I need to move on. Thinking about that for 30 hours will not change the fact that it has happened and it will not help my business moving forward. So let me just put a time limit and thicken my skin. <laughs> it's brilliant advice and something that I have suffered with over the years. I've kind of catastrophized and overthought things. And I guess I care, but frankly, it doesn't really do me much good to go over and over it in my head. Uh, so I, I need to hear that advice myself. So thank you, Avadesi. <laughs> we've shared a little bit about Hustle Crew and the work you're doing, but I feel like this, we, we've teased our audience enough. Can you Can you share a bit more about you know, how Hustle came to be a bit more about those early days. And, and for any aspiring founders that are listening to this, like what, what were the first few months, the first year like? Because I, I know you didn't run it kind of full time. You were doing this alongside other things, which is uh, very impressive. Yeah. So I think for me, Hustle Crew started as me kind of dipping my toes into entrepreneurship, right? I was like, I'm going to start a community. Starting a community felt like no pressure. It doesn't matter if it succeeds or fails. And, you know, by that point, I'd like done some events when in my previous life as a blogger and all these kinds of things. So I kind of had the foundation for that. And, you know, like I said, I was in a really low place 
self-esteem wise and confidence wise, because I had just come out of a, a startup job where I felt isolated, excluded and alone for so long that by the time I left, I didn't really recognize myself, if I'm honest. So a big part of the early days of Hustle Crew was also just trying to find out who I was again and trying to find that really excited, passionate, you know, techie startup enthusiast. One of the things that I was really obsessed with the whole time I was working from when I graduated into my first few jobs was reading things like Harvard Business Review, reading about business, like the world of leadership, the world of business. And one of the things I was always very acutely aware of was it distinctly lacked voices like mine and experiences like mine. Like I would always feel like something was missing from leadership education. And as Hustle Crew's community grew, I had the opportunity to join the Princess Trust Enterprise Program. That was really great because it got me my first business model, my first business plan. And then off the back of that, I joined an accelerator program run by The Family. They're like a French fund, which have since stopped operating in in the UK, but they're still around. They're still available, mostly seed and series A. But then spending time in that kind of community was so powerful because I was learning from scale-ups and founders who'd had exits. But yeah, I think probably a pivotal moment in the Hustle Crew journey came when about a year and a half after I started it, I was offered a job at Product Hunt. Product Hunt is probably one of the most well-known startup communities around. And to go into a community that was so active, so well-known, and play this role of making it more inclusive, making it more representative, but also thinking about you know, how things can be inclusive from default. I don't know, it just started to make me realize Hustle Crew has this incredible opportunity to fill the gap in like leadership training and leadership education, because we all want to be inclusive leaders. You know, we can't, we don't have a place in the future if we're not. So I think, you know, where Hustle Crew has arrived at today, especially thinking about where the world is now versus where it was in 2020, let's say when Black Lives Matter was trending, I see that there are a lot of businesses that have really good intentions when it comes to inclusion, when it comes to diversity, when it comes to representation. But the impact of their words, their actions, just doesn't quite live up to those intentions. And that's really where Hustle Crew comes in. Like Hustle Crew's workshops help you close the gap between your impact and intentions. And the the way that we do it is by creating space for teams to practice vulnerability. We think that it's it's our lack of ability or willingness to admit when we're wrong, where we're wrong, how our culture shapes our decisions or our views, how our identity shapes our our actions, our views. That's just not been something that you do at work. That's not been something that you practice at work, but it's been a big part of work. (laughs) We haven't spoken about it, how our identity shapes, how we show up at work, but it's been happening, right? It's been happening. So what we're trying to do at Hustle Crew is like, instead of shying away from it, come to our training, come to our workshops, We're going to teach you how to be open about the fact that you're white, that you're brown, that you're straight, that you're gay, that you're working class, that you're posh. Don't be ashamed of it, right? We're all humans. And I think humans will only survive if we can remember that we always get more out of reminding ourselves what we have in common, not what makes us different. So true. No, thank you so much. And you've clearly, you know, you, you've evolved this from the side hustle to working with some of the biggest brands out there, the Bloom and Wilds. You mentioned All Plants, the NHS guy. I mean, it's, it's, it's so, so impressive. And I think also a very inspirational for anyone else that might have a little side hustle at the moment that 
you know, somebody that you, something that somebody's very passionate about, and maybe it's building a community and just the way you've taken uh, the business, I think is, is incredible to see the evolution of that. And I think a lot of that seems to be at the heart of like, is community is at the heart of that. And, and you clearly, and I know firsthand, you know, from our own efforts to build community, and we, we've really invested in that in the last year. Uh, my colleague Alice had done a, has done a fantastic job in the last year of evolving our community but i know how hard it is and i know it takes a lot of time and there are a lot of people out there that a lot of founders out there that talk a good game about being community first but it's very one-sided and maybe not truly a community it's maybe more of a you know a way to sell in a product or service so just if we give some tips to anyone listening or are there any pointers we can share to help emulate your success in building a meaningful community that that kind of stands the test of time Nice. Yeah. So I think whenever I think about what makes meaningful community, I think of that famous Paul Graham essay, the founder of Y Combinator. And, you know, he's a prolific essay writer. And the one that stands out the most for me is an essay called Do Things That Don't Scale. And if you're a founder and you haven't read that, it's about to change your life. And in it, he talks about the fact that some of the most like valuable ways you can interact with your customers are actually really hard to scale, right? Like a handwritten thank you note or, you know, remembering that their, you know, client pitch is about to come up and just reminding them like, hey, I I hope that goes well. You know, let me know how it went. Like a lot of the things that make you memorable and that create that connection with someone, authentic bond you can't scale them. You can't productize them. And so there's something that's inherent in community building that is at odds with business building, right? Because business building is about scale. Business building is about replicable tasks and processes. So, you know, when it comes to community building for me, it's not about size. It's not about numbers. It's not about how quickly can we get to 1 million members of Hustle Crew, all the things that people want you to do. For me, it's about how many meaningful exchanges can we have with individuals? Because ultimately, if I only impact one person this month, but the impact was someone who you know was facing homelessness or eviction has now got a paid job and they can get their bills paid and they're fine... That's so much more important to me than gaining 10,000 new followers or 20,000 followers. You know what I mean? So community for me has always been, what is our purpose? Why do we exist? You know, what's it all for? Why does it even matter? And when people come to us at their time of need in a way that aligns with our purpose, we are there for you. And that means that we have also had to learn to be clear about what's not our purpose. There are many people in our community who are not satisfied with the content we're putting out and with the work that we're doing, because it's not very relevant for them, but they're also not our most target, 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 target community member. You know, I started this business for people like me, because if Hustle Crew existed when I worked at Hotel Tonight, things would have ended very differently. I would have gone to my community for help. I would have been given a playbook for how to you know, bring this up with my manager. I would have been given guidance. I would have been given coaching, support. I would have had people cheering me on, Maybe I would have quit months earlier instead of quitting at a time where I was already really like in a low place. So yeah, I just think, unfortunately, if you're serious about doing community, it is going to be doing things that don't scale. Look at Ryan Hoover of Product Hunt. In my view, you know, one of the most prolific community builders in tech, one of the most active community builders. Having worked with him for so many years, 
I saw him replying to community members. You know what I mean? Like I saw him put the hours in engaging with people, taking calls with people, understanding how to make the product better, inviting people out for coffee. The way to build a good community is by investing your time into nurturing that community. And we all want a a time quick way to build community. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen unless you're willing to put in the time, unless you're willing to do things that don't scale. Do you know what? Don't build a community. Not everyone needs a community. You can have followers, you can have audience, you can have an email list. If you're not like in the education business, especially, why would you make a community? Like Hustle Crew has always been about education. It's always been about exchanging the most relevant fact at the moment when you need it, because that's the make or break between you getting a job or not. A lot of people in Hustle Crew are the first people that went to university and their family. They're helping their parents. They're helping their family members. Our careers are everything, not just for us, but for our whole network. (laughs) So, you know, community is big and we've been through stuff together. We've been through stuff together, but not everyone needs community because it's a a labor of love for sure. And that's a very important maybe takeaway for for a lot of people listening that maybe it's okay not to build a community. I think some of these things become these buzzwords and everyone feels they have to build one. And actually you could end up wasting a lot of time because it might not be right for your business. And you might not be the best person to build a community. Maybe the, there are other people out there that are just better suited to doing that and have, because it's, whether it's education or something similar, I think that's a very good point. <laughs> uh, but Desi, I'm, I, I, we're running out of time, Sally. So I'm going to quickly pick your brains on one more thing and then we'll get into our wrap up questions. But we speak to candidates all the time that want to get into tech. Um, and I know you've published a book, Dream Big, Hustle Hard. You have a podcast, Techish Podcast. There's lots of ways I know people can hear your thoughts on a lot of these things. So I really want people to go out there and, and check both of those things out. But I just wanted to pick your thoughts, particularly for anyone that's from a diverse background or underrepresented background that might be listening to this about how to break into the industry you know, initially, which is often the hardest thing to do. Is there anything you just would leave our, our listeners with um, just some, some thoughts or pointers that if they're listening and want to become like you and have a successful career in tech? <laughs> so if you're new to tech, and I would probably say this applies to like any level of experience, junior to mid-level, even up to like some senior roles, like if you just want to get into tech, from another background and you're underrepresented, a part of me feels like the most powerful advice I can give you is like just to get any job in tech and then use that as a learning opportunity. Like do not plan to spend more than 10 or 12 months there. Just get any job in tech that will have you. Start up, scale up, mature a tech company. Because once you've got a foot in the industry, you see it as an insider. And tech is a very different world as an insider than it is to an outsider. You start to realize the reality of it, the pressure, the goals, the deadlines, the chaos, quite frankly. Like tech has some incredible PR. It's all, you know, a hellscape and fires and everything inside with some nice bits, obviously. But yeah, I would definitely say just get in there so that you can start to learn what a tech career on your terms looks like because there's millions different types of tech careers million different ways that you can be in the industry different roles different you know chaos levels so sometimes the best way to get in is to just get in and then once you're in you can decide where exactly you want to be in it great advice great advice for Leslie thank you with Sally at the end so I've got three final wrap-up questions for you um in one sentence what do you think the future holds for Hustle Group 
I want Hustle Crew to be the global standard in inclusion education. So I would love us to be quoted the way like McKinsey gets quoted when it comes to workplace inclusion. That's my goal. I love that. I'm sure that will happen. I just have a good feeling about this. <laughs> if you could be mentored by anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? <gasps> oh my goodness. Wow. So many people immediately came to mind, Brene Brown and, and Oprah. I just want to be sitting on a sofa in the middle of the two of them. Do you know what I mean? Like I was like, teach me how you communicate. Teach me how you model vulnerability and compassion. Teach me how you make humans feel so special. That is a superpower. Gosh, if I as a founder could walk into every sales call and make that person feel like the most important person in my life, I wouldn't be on this podcast because I'd be on my yacht with Beyonce and Jay-Z just sipping champagne because I'm making so much money. So yeah, I want to be mentored by Oprah and Brene Brown. And also I want to be mentored by an activist. I want to be mentored by like Audre Lorde or Bell Hooks or Angela Davis and just give me that pro-black intersectional feminist energy psych me up psych me up yeah <laughs> yes love that <laughs> i actually found out um a friend of mine who is also a candidate that i placed in a job was mentored by Brene brown for a period of time i found this out the other day i could not believe it so i he we're definitely going to get him on the podcast to talk more about it and i'm hoping one day I will have the great pleasure of inviting her on the podcast. We'll, we will see if we can make that happen. We'll see. Definitely a name for me, but those are brilliant answers. So thank you. Um, and finally, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received that you would like to pass on to our loyal listeners? Ah, oh, Do you know what? Two things immediately scream to mind. So I'm going to try and squeeze in two if I can. So the first one is from a founder called Mark, and it is Perception is Reality. And that is the most important lesson of my early founder days. It didn't matter if I didn't have a lot of customers, if I wasn't making a lot of money, if I wasn't as big on my team as I thought it was, if clients thought I was. like All that mattered was how clients perceived me. And yes, that meant that I was emailing from aliases of first names that did not exist just to try and look like my team was bigger than it was. Perception is reality, y'all. And let's just say that won me work. So yeah, perception is reality. And then related to that, everyone's reality is true for them. And that's a really important one for conflict resolution. Like you're going to get into conflict with a customer. You're going to get into conflict with a client. You're going to get in conflict with a team. It's not about who's right or wrong because guess what? You're both right and you're both wrong. And just remembering that everyone's reality is true for them. We can walk away from this conversation with two completely different versions of events. And that's just life. That's part of the fun. That's part of the tragedy. But yeah, that's been really helpful for me to remember that two different person, you know, every, everyone's version of reality is true for them. Love that. Love that. Thank you, Abadesi. I've had, I've loved this. It's been so fun. And I'm sure you're going to have lots of people rushing out to buy your book. I hope lots of people will be getting Hustle Korean to help them and their businesses. And I also hope you'll get lots more listeners for your podcast. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you for being a 40 minute mentor and sharing so much actionable mentorship with our listeners. This is what it's all about. So thank you so much. And we hope you have a fantastic 2023. I look forward to meeting in person before too long. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Cheers. I really hope that you found this episode useful, especially with the increasing number of layoffs that we're sadly seeing in the tech industry. 
If you think somebody in your network can benefit from Avadesi's incredible mentorship and advice, then please do make sure you share this episode with them. And if there's anything that myself or the JBM team can do to help, please feel free to get in touch on info at jbmc.co.uk. And if you'd like to find out more about Hustle Crew and the amazing courses that they offer, check out the links in the show notes. That's all for today, but I'm already looking forward to seeing you again next week for another dose of pocket-sized mentorship. Until then, don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. See you next week.